Hey, y'all, you're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your host, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. Guess what? Chicken butt. No, but we got our (laughs) first donation. Hey, what's up? I know they like us. They really like us. Ooh, we rich now. Right? I feel like we should do something <laughs> special for the listeners that donate though. So like I'm thinking we should maybe like put their name on the website or something. What you think? Yeah, we should. Maybe we okay. shout them out in the episode. Thank you so much for that contribution, yo. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I said it like that. I said it like that. Yeah, I don't know either. But I mean, it, it was okay. Um, so yeah, if you want to be, I guess, shouted out and put have your name placed on our prestigious website, you can um, donate to us because we appreciate it. Help us pay mm-hmm. the editing and whatnot. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this episode, we will be talking about the best man holiday. Mm. Oh, 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 that's your reaction? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I did it. <laughs> that's such an auntie response. Um, it was sad. So sad. Why'd you make me go through this traumatic movie? It wasn't me. See, I wanted us to be joyous and giggly and watch Friday After Next, but our wonderful listeners uh, are subjecting us to this pain and voted Listen. that we best bear holiday. <laughs> I had to watch Set It All, watch Queen Latifah get shot up, blued up, and then now... <laughs> <laughs> and now I gotta watch Mia just die a slow, painful death. It did look, coughing up blood doesn't look like fun. Um, It does not. I was like, yo, I forgot about this. And then they said that she died Christmas night. So then my question was, did she die in Morris Chestnut Arms? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Oh, I shouldn't have said that. You hadn't thought about that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I need a drink. (laughs) So yes, this movie takes us through lots of... um, relationships, grief and loss, discussions of fertility in the Black community, health in the Black community, friendship, um, just just lots of lots of things. All of the things. All of the things. It really does go there. And so it, it's interesting because it is listed as a rom-com drama. I can see the calm. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the comedy in this, you know, um, especially with um, uh, Terrence Howard, what's his name? Um, Quentin Q. Quentin Q. Q and his um, his random one liners that just kind of take the moment from being so so sad to actually having a little relief of comedy. So shout out to Terrence Howard for being the comic relief in this movie because honey, we needed it. Oh. I'm so glad. And they put it in in good places, too. Like, yeah. it, you would be, like, in full, ugly cry. Okay. And something funny would happen. You'd be like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I got my 
I got my lashes done when I watched this movie. And well, I that was, was just a bad idea. I don't it, know why. It was. I was like, I just got my... So, you know, you can't get them wet. And like, even you try... They tell you not to sweat. And if if at all, <laughs> try not to cry. <laughs> or you're going to lose a lash or two. <laughs> so I'm sitting here watching this. My eyes are welling up. And I'm like, no, nah, you just paid for these. Don't mm. you so, like, do you watch um, um, Housewives of Potomac? Not recently, but yes. So I'll you know, know who Candace? you're talking about. I won't know what happened. Candace, when she folds her little napkin and she dabs her eye, that was me watching this because, honey, if... if And I had to put my head back. So they wouldn't <laughs> run towards the lash? Yes. That's how... Like, I did this several times during this movie. There were, like, so many little, like, you know, tearjerker moments in this, but well, we'll get to all of them. But before we do, please tell, what are your quotes? Hmm. Okay. So I don't know why this stood out to me as much. Like I, I definitely didn't realize it the first couple of times, because this isn't the first time that I've watched Best Man Holiday, right? Right. But of course, when you're coming from a lens where it's like, okay, I'm I'm looking at this, I'm critiquing this in a in a different perspective from a DSM standpoint. And one thing that stood out to me was when Stan in the beginning of the movie, Stan is, I guess, like the book publishing um manager. I liked him too. <laughs> <laughs> and his line was, exploit your friend for capital gain. This is America. And like, like you I, didn't say all of it. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. It was like, uh, you know, bios, they're not really my thing. He's like, fuck your thing. Fuck your thing. <laughs> he had the best lines. Honestly, I think that's where the comedy was, is in almost that entire scene where he is like, um, get your shit together get something and like he's just like straight up like you you haven't been on twitter since barack obama was in office for senate (laughs) (laughs) i was like okay okay and then he's like uh you know not black people smart oh i'm i'm not i'm not gonna go there with this don't go there with this rosie don't go there don't like i'm gonna do it like white people what don't make it about race and so I'm just not going to, I'm not going to make it about race. But I do have something to say about race. Okay. Um, as it relates to uh, what U.S. Today had to say about Best Man Holiday. Ooh, so, girl, did you do research? Okay. Let, tell me. Uh, what did say? Let's do research. Okay. <laughs> so what U.S. Today had to say actually about Best Man Holiday, they actually said it is a race-themed Christmas movie. And I just really didn't like the fact that they had a race-themed Christmas movie. Like, can it just be a Christmas movie? I don't know why we even talk about USA Today. I don't give a fuck what USA Today think about Black films. Well, I, I think it's interesting that that's what they had to say because we uh, Best Man Holiday like beat Thor The Dark World for a top box office spot on that day. And actually, on the second day, they did even better with this movie. So I think it's worth noting that this Black film did very well in the box office. And, you know, a lot of times, a lot of Black movies don't get the credit they deserve. So I just want to say congratulations, best man, for for beating Thor. Yes, I can second that notion. And I definitely feel that Black film has continued 
again and again and again to disprove the myth that Black film doesn't do well and that it or it mm-hmm. won't do well overseas and or mm-hmm. why we, that it just doesn't perform well in the box office. We continue to debunk that myth regularly with films, but yet we still aren't getting them to the level of which I feel like we should. And so, again, part of the reason why we even started this podcast is to give these films, these sitcoms, their flowers because they mm-hmm. deserve them. Um, these films don't always get the recognition that they deserve. They don't always get the praise and the celebration that they deserve. Um, and so if we can bring highlight to them in our little goofy way, <laughs> I'm more than happy to do so. And hopefully that also encourages you guys to go back and watch these films so that we are continuing to show mm-hmm. our support. We're continuing to say that this is what we want to see. We want to see ourselves in films and sitcoms. We want to see our stories. Um, we're not a monolith. And so we need diversity in our stories as well. So that's that's why we're here. So yes, I agree with your point, even though USA Today, fuck your thing. and there is that so moving right along um my next favorite quote was um of course the awkward interaction between um jordan and robin Mm. and so jordan says like hi how's it going in there and he's like it's going great and she goes that is big baby It's like, okay, move on. That is like that corporate, that's that corporate type of laugh. Like, you know, when they say something uncomfortable in the boardroom and they just laugh and everybody's just like, okay, that's exactly that. That, that like, reminds me of the laugh when the corny boyfriend, remember the uh, the Mo Money episode and the corny boyfriend was telling the terribly racist jokes? And yes. And he, he laughing. That's what that reminds me exactly. of. Exactly. <laughs> Corporate laugh. Like when they, they laugh, don't worry. They laugh at their own jokes. You don't have to be in on it. It's cool. Like she was really the only one laughing. She was. And she was okay with it. Um, for so long. For so long. Um, and then I... I, I I didn't write it down because it was such a lengthy quote when Shelby talked about the mic and how <laughs> no one agreed with her. Like, yes, okay, yeah, you gotta mic check one to a mic. But she said some other stuff. <laughs> You're like, whoa, ma'am, no one said that. I was like, wow. She's probably using a grapefruit somewhere, maybe. Well, the world may never know. Well, I mean, we heard Julian say that she rocked the mic the best, so. Hi, she, <laughs> she did say my tip was too much. <laughs> oh, Lord. I thought, I don't know why it stood out to me, but I like it when um Q is talking to Harper and he's basically like, yeah, this is all the stuff you got going. Your marriage is in shambles. You're, <laughs> you're, you're financially in ruin. And you got low sperm count. <laughs> Tay Diggs is like, I don't have low sperm, low sperm count. He's like, don't lie to Santa. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like oh, that's going to be my line from now until Christmas. Don't lie to Santa. <laughs> but my, my other line that I do like when he says, um, you know, but before 
anything. Just just give me a, do me a quick favor. <laughs> Call me daddy. <laughs> I love it. I love I it. I wanted to see if he was really going to do it. Like <laughs> I did too. I held my breath. I was like, don't call that nigga daddy. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and then my other quote is just so random. Um, but you know how Morris Chestnut finds self. Whew, just so fine. Okay, so Lance <sighs> was um on the phone with Mia during the game, and you know, he's listening to what she has to say to get him focused or whatever to mm-hmm. go and break the record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you listen closely, one of the fans is like, <laughs> shit. you don't know what's going on in that man life. <laughs> that is the exact reaction I had in my head to, oh my, I, I never heard that before, before listening to it. I mean, watching it again recently. That's so crazy that you heard that. <laughs> Dying, the wife is on the phone. <laughs> That's so sad because what fans are the most selfish people in the world. Mm-hmm. Hardcore fans for sport, anything, they're so selfish. Like, if my team is not winning and you're not doing what I want you to do, fuck your life, <laughs> your whole life, and everything, your whole life. and get off the phone, man, and get off the phone. <laughs> All right, I just thought too that like the very beginning of the movie, like the opening credits were super smart. And even the, like we talked about all of the emotions that were in the movie. I felt like the even the opening credits were very emotion evoking just because like it took us back to the last movie. It reminded us of like these characters who we already know and have like relationships with and understand what goes on with them. And so we were able to like revisit the past, get the context of everything going on and then get caught up on what they have been doing throughout the mm-hmm. years. So I thought that was like super smart. Shout it out was. to the producers. <laughs> and so we come into the film and we have like just uh, a continued catch up on what is going on with everything. So basically Harper's career is struggling and him and his wife are expecting a baby after bouts with infertility. Um, Jordan's career is doing all of the things that we knew it would from the last movie. She's just moving and shaking and being awesome. But we find out that she has a new interracial relationship with Brian McDonald. McDonald, yeah. B-Mac. B-Mac. B-Mac? Yes. <laughs> Brian McDonald. Like the ski in Vermont with my devices. I hate you so much. I like Get out of my office. chocolate girls. But, um, what was I saying? Oh, Julian Merch is uh, in education. He's leading a school with his wife, um, Candy. Real name Candace went by Candy in the previous movie and her past career um, endeavors. But a video of resurfaces of her back in her stripper days, um, possibly re- receiving payment for a service that she was going to provide from some young um, college boy. And then Q is being Q. Shelby is a real housewife, which I thought was very Gosh. fitting. Um, And then Lance is on the brink of breaking the all-time rushing yard record and his retirement from his successful NFL career. And then we don't know what's going on with Mia, but we just see that she is inviting everyone over for a Christmas weekend. And then the movie ensues. Mm. So random fact, uh, this, there was supposed to be a third film, of course. And as we know, when the way it ends, Mm -hmm. Terrence, uh, I'm sorry. I keep. Calling, I want to call him Terrence Howard every time. Um, Quentin Q 
gives everybody a phone call and, and gives them a, an update about there being a wedding. And so there was going to be a third wedding titled Best Man Wedding. Um, and it was announced in 2014 and set to be released in 2016, but was put on a hold since then. And so I wonder. So it's just on hold? Like it's just still in the... And yeah, it was put, it was, it was placed on hold indefinitely. Hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if you know how it feels. I don't know why, like I saw that coming and I don't know why I just let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, <laughs> uh, and you gave me this space and this is why I love you. <laughs> You just allow me to be myself. <laughs> but I wonder, you know, if if they're going to take this hold off and like and bless us with a gift during this hard, hectic time. It would be lovely. I doubt it happens anytime soon because of COVID. Um, I know. Yes, but I think that they need to make sure that they put the same level of writing into it as they did this one because this one was so layered. It was yeah. really smart, not just black smart. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was really well written. I really enjoyed like that aspect of the film on top of um like seeing these actors like that we see everywhere because there's some heavy hitters in this film. It's yes. seeing them be different because like, I don't know a film where I've seen Morris Chestnut cry before, like cry like that. Mm. I couldn't think of one. I did enjoy seeing Morris Chestnut. Like I felt like Lance Stevenson, I mean, not Lance Stevenson, that's the basketball player. Sorry guys. Lance Sullivan is oh. what Ricky could have been had he not died. And so when he was playing, they were showing the little, I was like, run, Ricky. <laughs> Your future is ahead of you. It looked just like his little highlight tape. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to show the recruiter. Listen, so one thing that I was really, really kind of thrown off about this movie was like, you hear Best Man Holiday. You're mm-hmm. like, this is a Christmas movie. But um, I just didn't feel like I was in the Christmas spirit after watching this. Would At you agree? Or did, you, you don't. You know, you know what? So. I feel like all Christmas movies need, unless they're like in L.A., Christmas mm-hmm. movies need snow. Where was the snow? There was a, a little bit on the bushes on like. That was great snow. I, hmm. Okay. But right. like his interior decorator did that. that the lights. Set the light and the the decorations in the home are beautiful. Um, I mean, the title says Best Man Holiday, but do when I think about this movie, do I just think about Christmas? No, not at all. So I was surprised that the listeners chose this one. Um, granted, both of the movies that we picked are Christmas movies, kinda. They're like Christmas-ish. Ish. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, but I still, I did not get the holiday spirit, but... Um, I did want to give a special shout out to this movie and highlight my hometown because all of the football scenes were filmed at the Buffalo Bills facilities. Yes. A couple surrounding area scenes were from Western New York. So yeah. shout out to the city. Shout out to the town for being all in the movie. Um, I just, you know, always feel a way that they can use our facilities, but they can't use our team. I get it. They wanted a winning team. We were struggling back then, but we're, we're better now. Um, we're we're better. Yeah. 
Yeah. Actually, there was a slip up. There's a scene where you can actually catch the the Buffalo Bills logo in there as well. So. I know because they were at the Ralph. That's what we call it. I don't I'm yeah. not calling it the New Era Stadium. It's the Ralph. It's the Ralph. <laughs> it's the Ralph. Just, you come visit. I'll take you to the Ralph. OK, cool. The signs that- will say New Era. Well, no, they're going to say something else now, too, because stuff doesn't last here long. But we're Ooh. still the Ralph. Anyway, well, Big Buffalo, we was in there. <laughs> Moral of that story. <laughs> in other news. Um. <laughs> okay, so I did have an, a question and I wanted to ask you. I haven't thought about this myself but, uh, either, so it's going to come off the head. But what is it? What is so it? Lance's principles were God, family, football, in that order. Like Mama D said, in that order. In that order. Okay, so... <laughs> In that order, it was God, family, football. What would Dr. Rosie B's three principles be? Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> On the spot, why don't we? Um, that's a deep question. And then they were just spouting it off like it was something easy to come up with. I mean, so immediately education, family, Love, I don't know. <laughs> Love. <laughs> Why did it take so that was not as sexy as as it was on, on in the movie? How about how about for you? Okay, so while you were thinking, I was thinking as well, and I think that I have come up with now. This is just flying off the top. I don't have people writing for me. Um <clears throat> right, okay. Like they did. But I guess I would go with Framley. So that's friends and family all in one. Good one. I feel like my chosen family is, has played an important part as well as my actual family family. So I'll say family, spirituality, and growth. In that order. In that order. In that order. order. In that order. (laughs) I I don't like mine. I like, I'm like education. Like what? I mean, that's been important for you though. Yeah, I guess so. It's just it was a method of survival. That's another episode. Anywho, yes, yeah, school is my safe place. Um, <laughs> I also wanted to highlight the fact that Lance is like coming off of a successful NFL career, mm-hmm. and like they're talking about how it's um, it's important for how he could use this time. Well, Jordan is when she's trying to backdoor Mia into following along. With mm-hmm. Harper, uh, really talking about how this could be a pivotal moment for him to kind of tell his story. And I think that a lot of times we don't always think about um, the mental health of athletes. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised to hear like Lance, especially the growth from the last film, when they're interviewing him at the beginning of the movie. And he's like, um, yeah, I-, I love football, but it's my job. It's not life or death. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know, you know, what all was going on during that time. But to hear him say that and compare that to how he was in the first movie, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. he's grown. OK, so he'll have a, a successful, healthy transition out of sport, because for a lot of athletes, if they still view themselves solely as an athlete, they're mm-hmm. more susceptible to um, substance abuse, friction in their interpersonal relationships, um, suicidal ideation, depression, all of those negative things because they have not spent enough time building their their own identity and who they are as a, as a person aside from just in the job of an athlete. And so I was happy to see that um, he had some sense of who he was, just hate that it had to happen as it rolled out throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So 
Harper and the baby and all of that. Um, do you feel like the movie did a good job or introducing like the topic of infertility in our community? Okay. So the first couple times watching it, I didn't pick up on the infertility mm-hmm. issue. Um, it it looked uh, from from my perspective, like my perspective, uh, it looked as though the perspective was coming from Robin that um, she wasn't able to carry the child because she, you know, uh, miscarried the, the last time. And, you know, he was really concerned about her being on bed rest. And so it seemed as if the pregnancy failure was, wasn't necessarily hit on him. It was because she wasn't doing what she needed to do um, and then lost the, lost the child, you know, at a later term. And so it, it wasn't until you pick up on like the side conversations that you really start to understand, oh yeah, like he actually had fertility issues. So, and that's why when they're in the bed, that scene is so important because she's like, you know, I've been really positive. I've been trying to be, you know, um, supportive of you, but I need support too. And it's like, I think that like recently was when I made the connection and the importance of that conversation that they're having in the bed, because it's like, you know, I, I'm not just responsible for what happened as well. Like, you know, so that, that, that's how I saw it. I didn't really understand that it was in his infertility was what played a part until watching it a couple of times after. Yeah. It sounded like they kind of both had some, some different, like with her being able to carry full term and then him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder if that was something that was always the case or if that didn't arise until after they lost the first one. Um, So yeah, it was a lot. It was, and I I did appreciate too, that they had a a black OBGYN. That's Mm -hmm. something that I am always advocating for myself and my friends to seek out. And if you don't have, um, if, you, if there aren't any Black uh, OBGYNs in your area or somebody that you want to seek services from, looking at someone who um, understands and will listen to you. And when you have those complaints or you have concerns or you even have questions, they value those, they answer, they listen, um, and just respect you as an individual because it is a, a serious issue in our community with um, doctors not listening to us. Mm-hmm. And so I was just real happy. I was like, oh, okay, they have a black OBGYN. Maybe she won't, she will live during pregnancy because like mm-hmm. that's, the, it's, a, it's genuinely a fear for um, women, especially now that we have more access to information and are hearing how prevalent it is. It can mm-hmm. be scary. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've heard a few scary stories myself personally where, um, you know, women have been mistreated or not heard um, while giving birth or, you know, you know, just routine checkups, you know, and I think it's so important that we see ourselves represented in our healthcare system as well, because, you know, there's still literature out there in their nursing, like in nursing textbooks that says, um, black skin is tougher, that women can, black women can handle more pain, have a higher, uh, pain tolerance. And so, you know, all these things are are still out there, and so we do need to to see ourselves in a in in the system that's not necessarily 
made or established for us. Exactly. And like you said, they assume that we have a higher pain tolerance. I have a no pain tolerance. So if I'm even uncomfortable, right. <laughs> let alone pain, right. there'll be problems. Yeah, honey, because they will keep pushing you until you say Uncle Tom. Right. <laughs> and I think, too, that sometimes um, all of us, not just women, um, but women and men of all cultures, you have a certain level of respect for your doctor and you feel like they know what they're doing. And so sometimes if they say, well, no, this is just something, you know, small and I understand that you're in pain, but this is just whatever. You're like, oh, okay, well, that's the doctor. They should know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it really takes for people to have to advocate for themselves. And so that's important across the board for whoever it is to make sure that you advocate for yourself. And if you feel that something is not okay, something's not right, something doesn't feel right, that you feel comfortable with speaking up for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you might be saving your own life. That's right. It's a little heavy. So I guess we'll go on. I to mean, the, that's, that's just the message for today. Take that, write that, <laughs> write that down. <laughs> I feel like there's several in this film, but uh, we'll go on to um, Jordan's white boyfriend. How do you feel about that? Is it the same for like, when he get on, he going to leave your ass for a white girl? Like she, she, she got on, she up there now. And now she's a white man. Is it the same connotation of like successful black individual obtains a certain level of success and they get a white partner? I, I don't think that that fits for black women as much as it does for black men because there's been a, it's been a history of, you know, showing that black men typically would marry white women to that showed their success, you know, and, and, um, like that was, and that became like the kind of like stereotype, you know, that, that, that perpetuated throughout our community that if a black man marries a white woman, that he felt that that was a level of success where that, and that may not be true, you know, mm-hmm. um, for a lot of men who end up in a relationship with someone of a different race, Do you, you know, so like that same stereotype applies to black women though, because also like, women, we have like the gender gaps, the different, um, the pay gaps and all of those things. And now women are obtaining higher and higher level positions in different organizations, different companies, and are achieving higher level of success across the board. While there were always successful women, Mm -hmm. let's not get that twisted, there now are more representative as the world is opening its eyes to the dumb stuff that they was doing before. And so now that there are more do you think that that stereotype will now apply to both? No, because I think it's high time that Black women need to be loved in general, period. Period, poo. Like, we haven't... I feel like Black women have not been loved. We are, like, the most ignored, uh, you know, racial group when it comes to a lot of things. And, you know, and even when it comes to attractiveness, there was a research study that showed that Black women were ranked the lowest when it came to attraction for men of different races and ethnicities. And so it just goes to show, like, we, we we have a hard fight out here, even when it comes down to being loved. And so... Get yours, girl. All right. If he love her, get that love. If he love you, get it. Take that shit. Okay. Because it's real hard. And we, we're not winning in a lot of these other areas. So if you can win in, in the case of love, win for all of us, sis. God bless. 
Just making sure you're done. <laughs> and yeah, to all of that that you said, it was still funny when Shelby, Shelby called him Robin Thick. Oh, that was funny to me. <laughs> but honey. But, but hey, and here, and here is an additional piece to that message that I just laid on you, ladies. Um, make sure he Robin Thickish, okay? Because- oh, no, Robin Thickish. Because <laughs> <laughs> if he ain't Robin Thickish, it's a waste, all right? And then, 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 then what? We don't have nothing to show for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we talking about fine men, can we talk about how grown uh, Morris Chestnut is and it's still just as fine? Oh my gosh. He was, he was being mean and he looked fine. He was being kind and he looked fine. He was being quiet and he looked fine. He looked good in a suit. He looked good in the pads. He mm. looked good in his pajamas. He looked good shirtless. He just mm. looked good. Mm. Yes, he did. And then especially, he got me. He got me. When he hit that ground, that's when I text you. Mm. When he hit that ground, when he was crying, I said, no. Not Morris. It's okay. It was sad. So 100% transparency. I remember going when the film first came out. And so, of course, um, I follow or friends and friends with just a bunch of just horrible, terrible, just just terrible people on Facebook. And they basically said, you're going to cry. It's going to be terrible. Like they basically, you know, let it out before I went to go see the movie. So Mm. the whole time I'm like, well, Everybody said I'm gonna cry, so I'm not gonna cry. I already know. I already know it's gonna happen. I'm not gonna cry. And I'm not gonna cry. (laughs) (laughs) And that's exactly what I thought. And then when they zoomed in on his hand, and that hand got the shaking, and I said, "Oh, oh, 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 is that a thug tear? I feel it coming. Oh, 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 let me look up so it won't fall." (laughs) Right. See. And then he fell, and I said, "Oh." That was the part. Again, I had to put my head back. I said, no. But it's too much. It's too much. He said, she can't go. She can't go. Mm. I said, oh, Morris. Mm. Mm. I, I stopped calling him Lance at that part. Then he was Morris again. He was just Morris. Like, oh, Morris. <sighs> and then that's a real friend. If you right. see me shaking, you come catch me. Don't you let me hit this. Okay, and they hit that slow motion run. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> But Lawrence was too happy and he couldn't really hold him, so they both just fell off. So sweet, though. It was so sweet. He tried. He tried. He tried. He tried. He tried. Even the character, just Lance Sullivan, is just a damn amazing. Like, this man, he then delivered a breech baby. Listen. His car. I said, I'm through. His wife's funeral. I'm through with Holly... Would I say y'all did too much with that? Uh, he delayed, he came out the car day. holding a baby, but it wasn't even a different day, that was the same day. He left his <laughs> wife's repass <laughs> to drive him, <laughs> and he came out the car as smooth it's as he want to be, right? Not it away, <laughs> smooth as he wants to be. Talking about it's a girl, yeah, I would have been stressed. I, talk about I delivered four, but I was there when I had four of my children. And that doesn't mean <laughs> what you mean. I watched first 48. That don't mean I can investigate a murder. <laughs> okay, bitch. I watch Law Order day and night while I'm while I'm going to sleep. That does not make me a crime scene investigator. 
<laughs> I and have watched every stuff. episode of my 600 pound life. Let me do this little surgery for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm, I would never. Th- that is not a good enough excuse. And then speaking of children, Morris Chestnut children did not look like they were actually his. Okay. They didn't look related. The one, no, that one, the daughter, the daughter who was like the most talented person in the whole movie, the girl could act, could sing, could play, could be. Yeah, a child. maybe, perhaps. Been his. But the other, the other three, I'm like, Mia, girl, you got a story to tell? Because I'm too... And then poor thing, poor Shelby's baby. What was her name? Girl, Shelby. I don't even know. I don't even remember her name. I gave her a full diagnosis and I can't even remember. Oh, Kennedy. Name. I yeah. think her name is Kennedy. Mm-hmm. It was, you right. And oh, I'm like, I was like, oh my God, I would hate to have a mom like her. Okay, can we talk about her and um and Regina's halls? Uh, Candace's, Shelby and Candace's interaction. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't no like we would have got it popping at the at the at the new edition little uh karaoke stuff because you're not gonna throw no drawers at my husband. You're not gonna you're not gonna throw no panties. <laughs> Talk about girl, there ain't clean. nobody throwing their panties at my husband but me. <laughs> girl, girl, we would have had we uh we would have had a showdown. Then, then it happened then because right then Regina yeah. Hall dealt with a lot. And I was she, like, I mean, she came from, she really changed her life. She was, you know, out here sucking dick for dollars and having a strip and, listen. you know, all them different things. And she is, she's putting up with this woman. She has really had a, had a full turnaround. She done gave her life to the Lord and is living right. And this woman is trying her. Look at the devil, just always busy. But then busy. she had to come across her. She had to come across her. It got to the point she couldn't take it no more. The, the, at some point, you got to let them know. I'm not the one to fuck with. Yeah, but I didn't swallow dick for tips, you dirty skank. Yes, you did, you lonely, miserable bitch. It's called fucking alimony. Oh, my God. And oh my she God. must have thought, Shelby must have thought that she was, she could have fucked with this one. I'm just saying, no, she ain't, she ain't whoop Shelby's ass, though. Like, it was, it was a good little, a little good little squabble. It was a good squabble. Shelby done had all that practice because, you know, real housewives be beefing, so. They know. do. She probably, they do, so oh. she was ready. But the way Candace muffed the shit out of her. Fucking alimony. Oh my. I was like, damn. It needed to happen. It did. And so I was happy it happened. But I was like, no, I was, I was trying to give her like tips. And I was like, fight, fight. Uppercut, <laughs> uppercut, Candace. They got the rolling around, arm bar, arm bar. <laughs> 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 so I'm just like, damn, like, and, and that was going to ask you that question. I was like, so who won the fight? I mean, Candace connected more. She did. So, I mean, technically and, the boxing rules, she would have won because the, you get more points for more land. And the hood rules too. Candace was giving face shots. Shelby Facts. was like boxing. She was throwing body. When she was on top of her, she was hitting her in the body. She was, yeah. You know I mean, hood rules, I guess, you know, you go for the face. But she's gonna feel them body. You know, shots. How, you know how chicks get the, you know, beefing in the in the in the in the stripper in the locker room. So right. she know that's that's the she money. Knew, you go for right. the money. You go for the face. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, when was the last time you was in a fight? Girl, I can't remember the last time I was in a fight. 
I can remember last time I was in a fight because I had to do community service afterwards. It wasn't. Oh, shit. They didn't say it was the police when they came and tackled me. I thought I was getting jumped. <laughs> so I kept fighting. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> but, you know, that's not one of my proudest moments. So anyway, I wanted to know your opinion uh, <laughs> on the next episode of DSM. Okay, what were you guys me? Um, Shelby's outfits were trash. Every single one of them. Her oh weren't God. that great either. I said, how she the real housewife? And she looked terrible. But that's the irony. Like most of, like some of them do be looking terrible. And then back in the day, honey, you look at them real, like the Atlanta Housewives seasons, like. Look at like, them wigs. Baby. Ooh, look at them wigs. Ooh, chat. And, and the makeup too. Mm. The makeup. Mm. Yeah. So I think that that kind of is 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 icon like ironic that they that she looked like that and she was a housewife. Point taken. Point taken. <laughs> I did want to ask you, being in academia, mm-hmm. and Candace is head of admissions at the school that they I guess started own operate whatever it is their positions mm-hmm. are. Did you feel that that tape? resurfacing from 1997 was grounds for the investors or the philanthropists to not donate their money anymore. No, I think that, I think that is just, and I, that's where, again, I'm like, damn it, Hollywood, here you go. You just, (laughs) you reach, you reach, you grab something. You're like, that sounds great. You know, but it doesn't make sense in real life. So it's just like, you know, um, I, I think, with more, I think there needs to be more context to that type of decision um, to withdraw money before, like, you know, and then how did you get the tape and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Like, Here's Howard. Well, Quentin asked that question. He said, well, yeah. how did you find this? Is he a poor? <laughs> so it was just like, okay, you're bringing me this tape, but how did you get it? And what is, what, what is your reason? So you saw this. This happened years ago. It has nothing to do with who she is now. And I think that does kind of, I would take him to court for something like that. Mm. I mean, I don't know if I would really have grounds, but, it's just like, <laughs> but I do it. <laughs> but I do it because it sounds like it sounds shady. Like it sounds like discriminatory in a sense, like um, previous work life or whatever. Like just right. get out of my business. It's mm. not whatever. I don't that ha- you're not donating to to me. You're donating to the children who I'm educating at this point and at this juncture in my life. Get out of here. Mm. Well, to take it back to the fights, because I just need to make this one point. Um, don't you ever use the monkey paw on me. <laughs> monkey paw. Monkey paw. You don't use the monkey paw. <laughs> no monkey paw. Take your hat. Screaming monkey. You call it something. I see a monkey all over your ass. You don't mess up my saddle, monkey. You'll be monkey paw on your ass back to the house. <laughs> <laughs> it was so serious about right. that. What is a monkey paw? I'm a monkey paw that shit out of you wants to learn it. <laughs> he acted like airbenders. I said, what is going on? <laughs> I'm like, wow, is this how I'm going to fight with my friends in the future? Cool. <laughs> well, we're adults. They're older people. They're in- I feel like they still feel that way, too, though. Because <laughs> I feel like your college friends, like, yeah, your friends from, like, childhood. You always remember them. You always mm-hmm. have those relationships with them. But I feel mm-hmm. like your college friends, it's a different kind of friendship. Mm-hmm. It is. I don't want to put a quantity on it saying that it's deeper, but it's it's just different. I think it's more playful in nature. Like I feel I like I don't know about theirs. They was fucking each other's wives and beating each other up and all types of wild shit. 
Well, I mean, playful in a way that you can you can joke about stuff like that after a while. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like that's like if y'all friends, like eventually the 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 hard stuff. Yeah, you you're like, damn, that really hurt me at the time. But then you could you could find a space to laugh about it. You know, you could laugh at the stuff once it's gone. You know, like once you've healed over it, you're like, haha, I couldn't laugh at it then. It's kind of funny now. So you so you feel like uh, Lance should forgive Harper? Um, to an extent, I didn't. I didn't expect when when the way he came at him when they first walked in the house. I didn't expect that. That was like whoa, mm. like damn. <laughs> you still I, on that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like you said, it was twenty years ago, man. <laughs> Like seriously, because I'm like, shit. Phew. Okay, hi. I thought you like if you're gonna invite me here, can you at least be a little nicer? So and and you know, uh what's her name? Uh Ryan or what's her name? Robin. Ryan Child. Um uh Robin looked at him with a side eye, like, damn. You, if you ever peep it, like shit, you she even said it. it. She was like, "Yeah, Lance was giving you a hard time." Yeah, so it's like, why invite me if you're going to still hold on to that? But anyway, I just feel like, so at a certain point, you have to you have to have the hard conversation with your friends, you know, because you're friends. Like, you can't just let it sit there and just let like, and eventually you're gonna miss them. You're gonna want so like, if yeah. it does take years, okay, so be it. But they should have had a talk. I don't think, I I think Harper was out of line just showing up without at least trying to talk or reach out to him beforehand and, you know, try to figure something out and how things are going to be when he gets there and if he should even be there. You get what I'm saying? That's that's where I would have came from as a friend. Like, yo, we haven't talked in years, so can we just like kind of catch up at some point before all this? See where you we feel at. like he should have did that, even though Mia like requested their attendance several times in different forms, my email, mail, UPS. No. Yeah, well, at that point, it's like, okay, damn, all right, something's up. Yeah, I was surprised why they didn't feel like something was was wasn't up. Right, because I don't email my friends, and if you get an email from me <laughs> as a friend. We could we corresponded on some business. <laughs> I'm not. I shouldn't have to ask you to be like, "Hey, you coming this weekend through an email?" Absolutely not. And that was one thing that Jordan um, was upset about too. When she was saying like, "No, Mia has been trying. She calls. She emails. I'm just always too busy." So I guess that was she had been trying to reach out to them for them and get everybody together for a while. And she did tell Lance like that was one of her last wishes was. She felt like he needed Harper. They needed to forgive each other. And baby, when she took that wig off and looked like Ebony from Players Club, <laughs> said, well, you got to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> but she is a beautiful woman, though. Yes, she is. Yes, she I is. I just love her. They all, everybody in the movie was fine. I think, like, for, for from the original Best Man a lot of their careers blossomed after the original best, best man. You know, like when you think about Love and Basketball, um, who else had a movie after this? There's a lot. It would take us a oh really long time to name. Yeah, I'm like, I can't even do that on the top of my head. Let me not even try. <laughs> the, 
Okay, so one last thing before we jump into diagnosis. I just wanted to highlight the um, seriousness that they took in that uh, Can You Stand the Rain performance. And I just want oh to remind God. everybody that one, Harold Perrineau is is a Broadway um, actor and he's done been in the uh, fame, the musical. And don't forget that Terrence Howard played Jackie Jackson. So he know how to do a little, a little one-two step. <laughs> In the really wasn't in the <laughs> formation. He wasn't in the film though. Like if you look at it, they kind of like kind of angle him out a little at times. Watch it again. No, girl, because he had them tassels on, and I was like, why does he have tassels on his wrists? And them things was smacking him. And I hated his. I hated his wardrobe. But that's another <laughs> conversation. I hated it. Oh, they so dressing like Lenny Kravitz. Oh, like, like, where's the? <laughs> his clothes from like the trash <laughs> god okay so diagnosing i guess we'll go through each one um each oh, wait one. wait fun fact about that actually uh can you stand the rain uh scene they the women didn't know that the guy what song they were going to dance to they knew that they were going to dance but they didn't know the song so their actual reaction were were genuine like sincere the recording I that, on their reaction. Because when, uh, when Sanaa Lathan said, oh, shit, I said, that's real. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds real. <laughs> he must have did right. something. No, he was going to do it. <laughs> and you can just, at the, at the reactions are just genuine as, as they want to be. And then it's just like, the question does come to mind, when did y'all find time to practice this? Because... Sure, it was scheduled, you know, pre-production. They had to... I was like, wait... Right. Okay. Anyway, so moving along. <laughs> okay. So we will um, list our diagnosis as we work through um, each couple. And so we'll look at each couple. And then if we have diagnosis for that individual, we can give them then. Um, and as well as if we were there, as much as I know you love couples counseling, uh, <laughs> work through them, um, working with them as a couple, or if you feel like they just need an individual, what we would do individually. So, did you have a diagnosis for Robin or Harper? Um, I had a diagnosis for Harper. And so, lately, I've been going into the other conditions of the DSM um, because it's been really hard to, like, give, like, other diagnosis to some of the characters. So, I mean, originally, I'm like, okay, Harper... It has major depressive disorder, but I realized that he didn't meet a lot of the criteria for that. So other than that disorder, I have occupational problems because um, he was let go from uh, NYU and then um, his book not doing well. Um, but that's about it for him. All right. So for me, um, for Harper... I also noticed, you know, the the pain that he was experiencing from the loss of the baby. And I viewed that as post-traumatic stress from the loss, from the miscarriage of the first child that they were um, going to have. And so for P PTSD, the following criteria apply to adults, adolescents, and children older than six years old um, and have to include exposure to... Make sure I got it right. Yeah. <laughs> Exposure to actual or threatened death, serious injury or sexual violence in one of the following ways. His would be um, witnessing in person the events as it occurred to others. Um, the presence of intrusive intrusion symptoms associated with the traumatic event. 
Um, and I have that as the recurrent, involuntary, and intrusive, distressing memories of the traumatic event. He kind of brought up a lot that the fact that they lost the baby and want her to do things a certain way because of it, um, as well as the marked physiological reactions to internal or external cues that symbolize or resemble the aspect of the traumatic event. And so I was wondering if he didn't have the low sperm count before they lost the baby. And that was a physical reaction uh, to with his stress of losing the first baby, if that was part of that. And then we also have the avoidance of efforts to avoid external reminders that arouse distressing memories. Wanting her, her basically to sit down, stop working, you're doing the most, like cut it out, girl. You act like we ain't been through this already. Um, the negative emotions being the persistent distorted cognitions about the cause or consequences of the traumatic events, saying that it was because she was on her feet and she was working too much and um, problems with concentrating. And I said that that is why he was having the writer's block and the issues with the books is because he couldn't fully devote himself back into writing the way that he wanted to because the distress of losing the baby. Hmm. Thoughts? Well, okay. So I do have a thought. Well, why not major depressive disorder if he has... So I the reason why I only had four instead of the five that are needed for the criteria. So I had depressed mood and I said depressed mood because he was, he was of course um, having to deal with the loss of the, the last child, not being able to do well on his book and, you know, losing his job, feelings of worthlessness, again, not, um, losing his job and his book not going well, reoccurring thoughts of Lance killing him, um, is also a possibility. I'm just kidding. Um, I was about to say, he had no recurrent thoughts of let's kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and diminished interest in writing, maybe, or like his diminished interest. I don't know. Oh, I feel and then, like he still wanted to write. I feel like he still wanted to be successful. That was still his passion. I don't feel like he had the loss of interest in things that once um, he saw enjoyment in. Yeah. So that's why I was kind of like, eh. What do you think about indecisiveness? I, I was going to say the indecisiveness of him, like, writing the the biography. I don't know. To me, that didn't feel, it didn't feel like indecisiveness. It felt he like just was he was his going going for that shit. And he was not in a good place. Right. He didn't want to get his ass whooped. Again, going back to reoccurring thoughts of Lance killing him. That weren't real. So, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's why I, I threw away the major depressive disorder idea. So I, I do, I, I agree. I think you, you hit it. Who's our next couple? So well, before we do that, um, if I was, if I was working with, um, Robin and Harper as a couple, really, I feel like anybody that has to go through the in vitro process, Mm-hmm. If that is what, because he did say that like these fertility payments and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. like if they are having to go through that process, I feel like all couples should have at least like three sessions for that because that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they should, like they definitely needed to maybe get a support group for maybe the miscarriage, but it definitely didn't seem like they processed the loss of that child together. Um, right. And so it kind of impacted the trust that they have for each other. Like she was really upset when she saw him holding Jordan because of the trust issues from before. And mm-hmm. so this whole process, I'm sure, did not make it any better. Right, right. I'm worried about, um, of course, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, not post-traumatic. Um, 
not prenatal, but um, after postpartum depression. Postpartum. Oh my God, I could not think of the word. Thank you. Postpartum depression. Um, you know, as far as like her, her wanting, to, her wanting to work until the very last minute of her pregnancy um, as a chef. I think that when she realizes that she's not able to work or, you know, to go back and do the thing that she's passionate about um, may, may lead or contribute to that postpartum, but also just, you know, other factors, like because of how she responded to um, Jordan's relationship with Harper, um, I feel like she might, have similar like insecurities, maybe body image wise, because when you think, when you listen back to how she described herself, I'm a whale, you know, and being concerned about her image um, may surface as another issue uh, for postpartum. So I I think about that um, for them as a, as a couple, how that's going to like play a role in in their, in their relationship. Um, And then also like, you know, I don't, we also don't know if Harper told her at any point or like he will tell her if he will tell her that he took a loan from Quentin and, you know, well, hopefully he's in a position where he could pay that back because at the end, very end, we do see that um, the book has come out. Mm-hmm. So that means that he did get a, a nice little check for that. Yeah. And yeah. About- start doing press and hopefully yeah. another advance on the, on the next book. So hopefully that was something that was just to see them through um, type thing because she also was down for taking the, the baby clothes and the car seats and, yeah. and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that she was kind of like, let's just do this together. And I felt like that was, again, goes back to some of those trust issues. Like he didn't, she, she broke his trust by telling Mia about the book he mm-hmm. broke her trust by not telling her that he had got fired from NYU. It mm-hmm. was just a lot of like, they just didn't have, they don't have strong trust to me. And that makes me nervous for their yeah. relationship. Um, but them entering parenthood, hopefully they can build that mm-hmm. um, in caring for their child. Not saying that children fix relationships because they absolutely don't. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have those same issues that you had before the kids, just amplified. So hopefully that's something that they could work on and get to a more secure place about. Next couple? Yep. Okay. So next up, let's do <laughs> let's do Candace and Julian. Mm, okay. Did you have a diagnosis for Candace or Julian? I didn't actually. So I just focused that because there were so many characters, I was like, I just need <laughs> to focus on the ones that I feel like need it. So I didn't I didn't look at their, like I didn't look at diagnosing them. So what do you have? Um I didn't diagnose them either one of them um either. I just okay. if working with them as a couple, I definitely would want to work with them on communication. Absolutely. Yeah. Um yeah. because there was limited there was lack of communication about the past. Um, about then him finding the video. And that's one thing that she was upset about. She said, I'm your wife. Come to me first. Like mm-hmm. that was something that they definitely could have handled together or mm-hmm. discussed before. Like the rest of everyone else didn't even have to know about it. Yeah. Like, I, I whole had to whoop this bitch ass in these rich people foyer because you wanted to hide the video instead of just coming to talk to me about it. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah. I understood her frustration, um, definitely. And I also felt like they lacked communication about intimacy because when, yes, he said that she'll be rock the mic better. But when Ken, um, Candace was in the mood and she was, you know, trying to be intimate with him in that way, mm-hmm. he just like was thinking about how he didn't, he wasn't with it, but he didn't say anything. And if I'm not rocking the mic, good, tell me so I could do it better. I need you to open up your mouth and say something. Well, here's the thing. I think that the problem with their relationship is that Quentin was in love with Candy. And that... Julian. Quentin is telling I mean, power. Julian. Ooh, child, ooh, child. Let's say, you seen part three? Is this something I don't know? <laughs> okay, the part three. I got, I got dibs on it, child. <laughs> I got dibs on it. Um, okay, so, so Julian... Merch. Um, he actually... I feel like his love and his infatuation was with Candy. So when she gets into that sexy mode, you see her say, I'm going to, Candy's going to take care of you. Yeah, right. So it's just like, okay. So then when he gets that image of who else could have loved her, you know, I get, I can understand why it was just like, it hurt him. And he didn't want to have to to deal with the fact that someone else had her. Because that, that's what the video also insinuates in a way. So there's that, there's that male, that male insecurity in a way that came out, which I think is definitely a problem because it's like outside of who Candy is, like what are what are other things that make her attractive to you? Or I think that to me that seems like a problem. I feel like they've been too been together too long for that. Like I could see that being the issue if that was always the issue, mm-hmm. but it seemed like he didn't care. And like that's mm-hmm. the point I think that Quentin that Quentin was making is that well you made a stripper and because he, he kept reiterating like I don't care about that like that's not what I care about I don't care mm-hmm. about that it's this other situation like I didn't know that you know she was sucking dick for dollars like I, I could feel <laughs> like that perspective of it because mm-hmm. that is something new like you're saying his ego is you know getting hit because that is something new so he has to learn how to accept that where I think mm-hmm. he had already accepted candy and he, they might have even played around you know she might have been candy on the weekends when mm-hmm. the kids go to grandma house but I think that, <laughs> I think that um he had to accept that she was doing a whole nother level of something that he wasn't ready for like but she said it was just that one time I really needed that money as we learned to set it off like you sound the sex for emergencies only so she must have it must have been <laughs> emergency <laughs> she was in a bind Julian I'm in a bind <laughs> oh my god that is literally the only reason, okay? <laughs> it needs to be an emergency. So maybe she handled her emergency and then, you know, it was never a thing then. <laughs> this is what it sounds like. And it sounds like once they were able to actually communicate and actually hear each other and express themselves to each other, that they they kind of, they expressed that, they understood that and they were able to move forward. So I just would, would want to continue to work on communication with them. I agree. Next. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, Jordan and Brian. And Brian McDonald. McDonald, yeah. B Mac. B Mac. B Mac? Yes. 
Brian McDonald. <laughs> like the ski in Vermont with my devices. I hate you so much. Get I like out of my office. chocolate girls. Okay, I could work with them. I think um, Jordan um, have a lot to... She has a lot to to come to terms with as far as like her love language and how she shows affection because like it's like it took her for a minute to come to terms with the fact that she was in love with this man, number one. Mm -hmm. And then just her ability to show it, you know, like, oh, that could have been sent as a text or an email, but he wants to come and see you in person. You know, that that may be your way of showing love, but accept his way of showing love, which I think is really hard, um, especially. um, So I can't say that it's really her fault. It's just, it takes time. And so they do look like a relatively newish couple like maybe they've been dating for the next the last what couple of years or so um so that's what i would work on is just love language with them mm, i think that's a great point that's one that i didn't even really come all the way to um because i thought so much of theirs they need like those those basic workshops of like premarital counseling like Mm -hmm. I don't know if they does he end up proposing I know he ended up coming at the end and like being there for her but I don't think it was a full proposal Mm -mm. yeah Mm -mm. no but Mia was talking about them potentially getting engaged and all that good stuff so they they I feel like they definitely would need that because they would need she has a intense fear of commitment yeah it's something that I have gathered and so they would need those basic tenets of what will life look like for us together Mm-hmm. what will compromising look like. And mm-hmm. I felt like that would be um, difficult for her to do because that's not something that she's always had to do. And um, especially because she doesn't compromise in her professional life. She mm-hmm. goes after what she wants. And that's like, even when she was giving Harper advice, she said, you just got to keep going. You got to do, you know, get, brush off those journalistic skills and get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that being said, I did diagnose Jordan with obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Oh, and so that is a pervasive pattern of preoccupation with orderliness, perfectionism, and mental and interpersonal control at the expense at the expense of flex- flexibility. I'm sorry, these words are getting all tangled up. <laughs> <laughs> Openness um, as evidenced by being preoccupied with details, rules, lists, order, organization, or schedules to the extent that the major point of the activity is lost. Um, is excessively devoted to work and productivity to the exclusion of leisure activities and friendships. And there were two more. Uh, Reluctant to delegate tasks or to work with others unless they submit to exactly his or her way of doing things. Like she even made the mock-up for Harper to make the book. Like, girl, calm down. And then the last one which shows rigidity, rigidity and stubbornness. And it just made me think of the last movie when she was just so mad at him. Like, I'm ready to get it popping. I'm horny. My hormones are raging. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, girl, if you didn't want it before, you definitely not going to want it now. What you yelling at? I know. <laughs> to concentrate. Jeez. That's true. That is so true. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Hmm. I also think she has a thing still for Harper. Mm. How long do you hold the torch for your college, like sweetheart? Yeah, right. You hold that torch forever? No, no. You gotta let it go. It's it's some that there are cuties from college 
where I can let I let go. Not you the can. ones that like that your boyfriend because Harper and Jordan never really dated. But like right. the ones where you just they was just mm, and if you just had that chance. Yeah. You're do right. you hold that forever or do you eventually I think if I had to see them and I had to see them married, I could let that go. But if you're just away, <laughs> I may think about it every once in a while. I think it just, yeah, it depends. It depends. You know, like the length of time they had apart, like 14 years. I think with 14 years from, from being in college, would my would that change for me? I think so. I think it does burn out. 14 years, yeah. And then at this point, she's yeah, she hasn't let it go because she's still single, you know, and like still single in a way, like she's dating, unmarried. you know, unmarried. And um, you know, there it is a little it would change. I'm sorry, I have to change it. Again, she should have let it go. Let it go, sis. I agree with you. I think that I think that she is like she has made consciously the decision to let that go. I think yeah. she made that decision last movie. I just think sometimes, you know, it's hard. And like you still have love for this person. Um, yeah. and you still have like that attraction. That might not go away, but you know that it's not, mm-hmm. it's dead. So there's that. So I right. think that's that's what makes it the awkward, the <laughs> Yeah, like... That's what makes it that. Let it go. Just let it go. We have a whole new boo. We have a whole Robin Thicke over there. All right. So, Mia and Lance. Heavy. Mm. I I gave Lance a diagnosis, again, from other problems related um, to primary support group. And I said, uh, uncomplicated bereavement. Um, where there's a loss of a loved one in the, um, like in the support group. So her being the mother, um, you know, and wife, that that's a difficult, um, you know, type of bereavement because then the dynamics change for for the children, and you know, of course, that was his support as well. She was his support as well. So, and then I started thinking, like, looking at their age or or guessing the children's age group, do you marry again? Like, do you get support to help raise four children? He can, just not to the one girl with the big old booty. That's right, right? <laughs> Pocahontas hair. Yes, and she smiled like this. <laughs> so, um, if you, because I do... I would see that happening because of the type of person that Lance seems to be, seems to be a very passionate lover. And so he would need someone. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what it just seems like. I don't know. (laughs) I don't imagine these things. I mean, after new edition, it made everybody want to get it popping. And him and Mia was having the, the the set it off love scene. They was basically love scene. He was about to take his chain and rub it down her booty. (laughs) (laughs) if you haven't checked out our set it off episode please go back and listen to the set it off episode you're missing gems it all connects in some (laughs) weird way um so yeah i think 
I think he's going to find a new love. And then that's going to be his, his next hard or like uh, milestone, if you will, or difficult hurdle um, is like introducing this new person to the family and, you know, trying to get, have established a blended family, especially now at his age, his partner would likely have a family of their own. And so I think about that, like his future in that way. I, and I hope, I hope that he doesn't feel compelled to stay single and, and, you know, not date. I almost gave him a diagnosis, but I decided not to. I almost diagnosed him with paranoid personality disorder because um, if the criteria list uh, suspects with uh, that their others are exploiting, harming, or deceiving him or her, mm. um, preoccupied with doubts about the loyalty or trustworthiness of friends or associates, mm. has uh, recurrent suspicions regarding f- fidelity of spouse or sexual partner, reluctant to confide others because of unwarranted fear that the information will be used maliciously against him or her. Like mm-hmm. how he didn't want to do the press. The media only knows what I told him. How he was so mm-hmm. upset. I let you into my home and he smacked the hell out of Tay Diggs with that book in his mouth. Um, he was very upset and felt betrayed. Mm-hmm. But then I really thought about it and he only really felt that way about Harper. Harper. Yeah. And he was justified in those feelings. So he had a reason. And so I took that diagnosis away quickly. Yeah. And I just um, would want to work through the stages of grief with him because mm-hmm. it definitely feels like when um, Harper and him are talking in the kitchen and Harper first finds out that she has cancer, he's still in the bargaining stage. Yes, um, yeah. Because he's like, I really think that he feels if I retire now and I spend more time at home and we keep, you know, praying and we have faith, you're going to witness this. We're all going to bear witness to this miracle. miracle. And it really felt like he was really just trying to make that bargain with God. Like if I do these things, then she'll get better. Um, And so I think that he needed to just continued process grief counseling of working through those, um, those stages of grief as well as for the children. But if I were, if, the outcome did not happen um, the way that it did. Working with them through infidelity and the end of life, grief and loss, like I, they would need to meet separate and together for end of life. Um, but that infidelity was a big thing because when she did take the wig off and looked like Ebony from Players Club again, she <laughs> talked about how he had been so mad at Harper and he never directed that at her. She was like, mm-hmm. tell me how mad you are with me. I knew what I was doing. I knew it was wrong. And I'm sorry. She said, that I, chose I chose him. him. Oh, girl. Did you see how he looked at her and he said, you, you chose, chose him? him? I said, ooh, he just happened to go through the ring. Morris got to act with all his might through this movie. She said, I chose that. That is, that's another part. Like, I'm like sitting here with tears in my eyes. Like, girl, you chose him? Why would you say that to him? Like, is she dying and he can't hit her? Messy <laughs> violence is not funny. I'm sorry. It's not funny. <laughs> Domestic violence is not a joke, guys. <laughs> but I do feel like she was being, she was very more willing to be open and honest about certain things because she of was coming so close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She had reached full acceptance of the situation, I feel. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. He was in, in denial. And I actually was going to say that he was, I was going to give him, um, what is it? Uh, depersonalization mm-hmm. because it's, it felt like he was in such a uh, delusion. 
as to what was going on. He didn't want to accept what was happening in his life. And he was so far from reality. And so again, where he collapsed, where he was at the gravesite, I think that's when that impact hit him Mm -hmm. where he realized, okay, no, this is, when you see the body go in the grave, that solidifies like this is it, you know? And so I think that moment is when his reality, like it, it really set in. Mm-hmm. This, is what, this is what my life is really. And so I think, yeah, we're, I, I agree 100% with that bereavement and working through that bereavement because there was that layer where he... He was he was really hopeful for for something more, and then he wanted that that Christmas miracle, you know. And I think I think as viewers, we wanted it too, in a way. Like we're like, yeah, at the end, she's gonna I be impossible. But I definitely didn't think she was gonna die, right? On Christmas, and uh, uh, presumably <gasps> in his arms in the bed that night. Mm. And that's what I feel like she told him on the phone. I feel like she told him, like, look, babe. I know how I feel right now. I'm not about to make it through the night. So I ain't going to be able to watch another game. So you're going to have to make this, break this record tonight or not at all. Right. Right. They put me in the game, coach. And she said, for Christmas, I want you to, to beat your record. That's what I want for Christmas. Because that's what she said. That's what, um, what Jordan asked when she was in the bed with her. What did you say to him? She's like, I just told him what I want for Christmas. And I think, too, that that played a part. Like, at the end of the day, he still was an athlete. And so he still was a high-performing athlete. And that the, he was still going to want the ball in the last moments anyway. Yeah. Like, once he got done being angry, he still was going to want the ball. And I think that's also why how he was able to jump into action and help deliver the baby is him being an athlete, him being able to compartmentalize certain things. And when it's game time, you got to go. Why does he have to be so perfect in this movie, though? Because it's more chestnut. And when is he not? That was what was sickening about it. But I mean... Was it sickening though? Was it? it? I mean, I just I just wanted to vomit on his abs. How about that? Because you're sickening with all your perfection. I some with the abs. I ain't going to vomit. Did I tell you that? No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) They're not really a couple, but I want to talk about Shelby and Quentin and I want to work with them together because in my mind, that's who he getting married to. They keep ending up in the bed in every movie. Talk about why do no. we do this? <laughs> no. Who he's talking about is Jordan and Robin Thickish. So he get how he can't get married to Buffalo. What are you talking about, man? He's saying he's getting that he didn't say he was getting married. He says it's gonna be a wedding. Then he say Yo, the girl, you can't even call the right names. I can't, I can't trust you on that one. <laughs> He's getting married to Shelby. That's what it is. So I diagnosed. <laughs> well then. <laughs> I, I diagnosed that. Shelby with histrionic personality disorder. And we have talked about that di- disorder. Ugh, I, that disorder once before. Mm-hmm. But I can run through the criteria once again. It is a pervasive pattern of excessively emotionality and intention-seeking behavior beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated uh, by five or more. And she got about just all of them. So, you know, is uncomfortable in situations where he or she is not the center of attention. 
Interaction is often mm-hmm. categorized by inappropriate, sexually seductive or provocative behavior. I mean, she did throw her panties at somebody else's husband. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> consistently uses physical appearance to draw attention to self. Uh, Whoa, wait. and lacking in detail, self-dramatization, theatricality and exaggerated expression of emotions. Um, yeah. What were you? Well, she definitely meets all of that criteria for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But wasn't she engaged? She had been married before, and that's when uh, she got mushed because she said, "At least I wasn't sucking dick for dollars or something like that." And uh, Regina Hall was like, "Yes, she was. Bitches called alimony, doctor." Wait, but wasn't her and uh, what's his name a thing? Um, Julian. Yeah, Julian. Originally, yeah. They were married or were they engaged? They were engaged. Okay, yeah. So she's just bitter about the fact that she took her man, basically. That too, because she did say, can somebody please tell me why he chose this $5 hoe over me? Yeah, So, and that's why she makes it her day. Like, she's still a part of this friend group, right? So, like, just because they broke up, she wasn't going to be out of the picture. But, But because you know, she's not out of the picture and she is like, you know, part of this friend group now. Like every chance you get, every chance I would get, I would say something slick. (laughs) True. I I can give you that. But also none of that justifies why she was on Flavor of Love, All Stars, Tongue Kiss and Flavor Flavor on national television. That's true. (laughs) I'm just giving her, I'm just, you know, giving a different perspective here. No, and I understand <laughs> that perspective. And I think that um, that that is, that is her justification for behaving the way that she does in this situation. Mm-hmm. And I think on the reality show, it's, this gets ratings. So that's her justification for it there. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like she, in her mind, she has reason for doing each thing that she does, but it's mm-hmm. also a behavior pattern that is exhibited in multiple uh, contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I diagnosed Quentin with borderline personality disorder. Why? <laughs> uh, I just had had my reasons, I guess. Um, a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image, and effects, and marked impulsivity beginning in by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts. And I said that his um were frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment because we know that he lost his mother to cancer at the age of 13. And that might be why, like he, and then his father just, you know, started working to deal and cope with his pain. Um, And so Quentin, then she was, she even asked me, even asked him like, who's going to be around for you? And he was like, girl, I don't need that. Don't worry about me. Like trying to eliminate the, the abandonment. Um, a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships and characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization, idealization and devaluation. Um, the women that he had just popping up in his phone and being like, well, this one a butthead, but mm, like and <laughs> <laughs> sending the dick pics and all of that stuff. Um, identity disturbance, market markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. I think that, that his sense of self was um, often questioned when even when he was praying um he was like but you made me like this god <laughs> so that person was like why am I like this you made me this way mm-hmm. um effective instability due to market reactivity of mood and so like how he would get so angry with Shelby and like they would end up like really really arguing and yelling and screaming because both of those disorders counteracting 
Um, granted, mm-hmm. she did need to get yelled at about how she was treating that baby. Yeah, I also diagnosed did. her daughter. I diagnosed her daughter with disinhibited social engagement. Mm. Because like she went and hopped in the in the seat with that man and wiped that man's tears. Girl, you only know him for a weekend. Touching that man's face. What and, that said to me was, thanks for sticking up for me. I got your back. That and she was just fine with playing with these kids that she had never met before. All of that. But um, <laughs> the criteria for disinhibited social engagement disorder, which was what I gave for Shelby's daughter, Kennedy, is a pattern of... Wait, where'd it go? Yes, there it is. Reduce or absence resistance in approaching and interacting with unfamiliar adults. Uh, overly familiar physical behavior or verbal that is not consistent with culturally sanctioned and age-appropriate social boundaries. Willingness to go off with an unfamiliar adult or minimum with minimum or no hesitation. Like she just walked up to the girl she was just fighting. Her mom was just fighting the other day. I was like, have you seen my mom? <laughs> she told her, just go play Kennedy. And she was just like, okay. Like, (laughs) poor Kennedy. And so I said that if Shelby and Quentin were to become a couple and I was to work with them, Mm -hmm. um, we would have to talk about both of their fear of abandonment, Mm -hmm. both of their um, uh, issues with self-worth and how to fight, like how to disagree with people, with each other in a healthy way. And Mm -hmm. um, their their different views on child rearing. If they were a couple, is there anything that you would want to work with them on? No, because they ain't a couple. How we know that? Cause they can't stand each other, and it's actually the next movie is going to be about Jordan's marriage to Robin Thicke. No, no, no. Oh my god, you're annoying. I've been called worse by better. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever. Anyways, all right, so. If you would like to support the show to help us get more content out to you all, you can follow the support the show link once you visit our website to become a Patreon member or donate with our cash app. Just like one of our recent donators did. We appreciate you. Thank you. (laughs) Now, we are happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but we would rather get the kind that folds. As always, be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts and leave us a comment because we are counselors and we actually care what you have to say. So until next time, peace. Okay, bye.